It's good to be in the house of the Lord together and to uh, sit uh, in his presence. We have been going through the book of Galatians for a number of months now, and uh, today we kind of come to the end of that journey, and uh, we're going to kind of close out in, in chapter 6. Uh, last week, we, um, we, we, we revisited the re, uh, chapter 5 and focused our attention on the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5. In verses 22 and 23, Paul defines the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I said to you last week that the fruit of the Spirit is never intended to be a goal, right? It's never intended, it's not something we look at and say, all right, this week I'm going to put in motion the fruit of the Spirit in my life. The fruit of the Spirit was never intended to be a goal because it's not the fruit of my will, right? It's not the fruit of my plan or my agenda. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so what, what, what we're doing is it's never intended to be a goal, it's intended to be a metric, that just as the works of the flesh naturally put out, uh, the, the, um, naturally flow out of a sinful heart, likewise, a heart that is walking by the Spirit, a heart that is working and walking towards growing in their love and passion for Jesus, fruit gets produced in their life. And the fruit of the Spirit, or the walk, walking by the Spirit, causes us to fall in love more and more with Christ. And the fruit of that love is evidenced by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And so it's not behavior modification, right? We don't put in motion these attributes because they are put in motion by the Holy Spirit. What we put in motion is our love for Jesus and what follows is the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we spent a lot of time looking at last week. If you missed it, you might want to tune in and kind of catch up with that. But as we approach chapter six of Galatians, we do, we do that with chapter five kind of in the backdrop. We always want to kind of look at where we've been to truly get a, the idea of where we're going to be going because scripture was intended to be read in context. And we had just talked about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And now as Paul begins to wrap up this letter to the churches of Galatia, he does so fully aware of the fact that there are Christians that are hearing this that despite the fact that they know it's wrong, they still will continue with sin at times. Paul was not naive to the fact that sin existed in the church. I want you to tell you, your pastor's not naive to that as well. I fully recognize that, that while we are pursuing Jesus and trying to be more and more like Christ, we trip up sometimes. I know that because I'm you, right? And, and so we're no, we're no different. And what Paul is doing in Galatians chapter six is he's beginning to lay out for us this awareness that, that, that Christians will at times get caught up in sin, and he's putting in motion for us a way in which we as followers of Christ are to respond to them. How do we reach out or how do we respond to those who are caught up in sin? Let's take a look at chapter six and verse one of Galatians. Paul writes, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be, himself, will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now notice here the, the way this section opens up here. Notice the focus of this text is not on the sinning brother, the one who's caught in the trespass. That's not the focus. The focus of this is not on the sinning brother. The focus of this is on the Christian's response to the sinning brother. I think it's very important for us to consider because the church historically has done a less than stellar job in dealing with people who are caught up in sin. Oftentimes they are, they are written off and judged and the not welcome sign is posted. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, Maybe some of you have. Maybe, maybe you're tuning in online or maybe you're watching this on a Thursday night and, 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 you're, and you're watching it online because you love God, you just can't go to church anymore. Because you've been under the magnifying glass of other people's religiosity. People have put standards in your life that you have not been able to live up to and it's caused shame and disconnect and you've looked and said, you know what, I love God, I just can't stand his people because his people seem to be very judgmental, his people seem to be very harmful. Maybe that's been your experience and it's caused you to disconnect from the church. Can I appeal to you today and say, don't allow the immaturity of some cause you to disconnect from a healthy gift that God gives to us in the body of Christ. The scripture lays out for us ways in which we are to come alongside and minister wholeness and healing and restoration into the life of one another. That's not the way Jesus responds to people in sin, right? You remember the way Jesus responded to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? Right, remember that in John chapter eight, the religious leaders figure this, they catch this woman, she, they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, see Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law says that this woman should be stoned. What do you say? That's the truth. The word says she should be stoned. And Jesus takes the focus off of her and puts it right on the hearts of the religious leaders and says, well, let the first one without sin let the, let the one who's without sin be the first one to cast the stone. And one by one, they walk away. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, this is how Jesus deals with those who are caught in sin. It's not judgment, it's not hellfire, it's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not disconnect, it's an opportunity to receive wholeness in Christ. That's the way Jesus responds, and that's the way we ought to respond as well. Look at verse one, he says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, Paul deals with a hypothetical case of a Christian who is caught in a sin, or a, a, a better reading of this in the original language is caught by a sin. 
Anyone who's caught by a sin. And the picture that we have to help us understand what Paul's really saying here is the images of that of, a, of someone running from sin. But sin being faster overtakes and catches them. It's like they're running from sin, but sin being faster than their pace is able to go, it overtakes them and catches them. And what Paul is saying is those folks who are overtaken by sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Can I tell you that, that every Christian who struggles with sin is not doing it out of sheer pleasure and as an act of defiance towards God. Now I know some people are gonna say, wow, he's really, he's really soft on sin. I'm not soft on sin. I'll call it as the scripture says it and I will not compromise or apologize for, for, one, for one minute. But what we need to recognize is that not everybody who's caught up in a sin is doing it out of sheer pleasure or some kind of defiance toward God, towards God. I recognize that there are certain issues in people's life that is a real struggle and it requires more than just a one-time moment of saying, all right, I'm just, I'm just gonna will this thing to stop. Transformation, folks, takes time, amen? I don't know about you, but I know I did not change overnight. I was not this polished, wonderful, you know, being of a man overnight. <laughs> My wife is cracking up over here. <laughs> it takes time. And you know what, if, if God takes time with me, can't I take time with other people? And I think too many times we draw conclusions and we define people by their sin and not realize that, that they are people who need to be restored. They are people that we have an opportunity to be Christ to. That's why Paul gives clear instruction on, ho on who ought to get involved in helping that brother or that sister out who's caught in a trespass. He says, if you see someone caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one. That's the title of our message this morning. You who are spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Paul lays out for us and says that there are some people who should restore such a one, and there are clearly those who should not restore such a one. If you're not spiritual, don't get involved. If you're not spiritual, stay away, right? We don't need your help. You're only gonna get in the way of what, of what that person needs. This is set aside or reserved for those who are spiritual. Though if you see someone caught in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Paul reserves this sacred text, task of, of restoration to those who are spiritual. So how do we determine who's best positioned for that task? How do we determine if we measure up and can be a part of that ministry? What does it require? What, what is the job description? Certainly it's not perfection, otherwise nobody would be a candidate for that. It's certainly not somebody who never sins. That, that's, that, that person just doesn't exist. But in the context of the broader text of all that Paul has been saying in Galatians chapter five and, and now also in, in, in chapter six, Paul just gets done laying out for us what it means to walk by the Spirit. And so the person who walks by the Spirit is the person who is spiritual. 
because the person who's walking by the Spirit is walking in step with the Spirit, heading towards Christ-likeness. And that person is best positioned to serve in that area. Now, how do we measure if we're walking in the Spirit? Well, that's how we looked, that's what we looked at last week. This is why we always need to connect the Scripture, what it said, to what it's currently saying. That's why context is so important. How do we measure we're walking in the Spirit? Verses 22 and 23, here's the measuring rod. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If these things are evident in your life, then you're walking in the Spirit. If those things are not evident in your life, you're not walking in the Spirit. But if those are evident, then you are spiritual. What I love here, what Paul is saying here, is, and this is really, really important, it's not what you say to the person who's caught in the trespass, it's how you say it. You see, the spiritual metric is, is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not the content, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's not what flows off of your lips, it's about what flows out of your heart. You can be truthful, but not spiritual. Isn't that right? Many a struggling Christian has been devastated by people who were truthful, but not spiritual. I've been on this Christian journey for 40 years. And I've been under some really great preaching and really great teaching in all those 40 years. But I've also been under preaching and teaching and influencing of others that was riddled with things that I needed to do and how I needed to live and what I needed to give up and all these things that I needed to do that it got me to a point where I just said, you know what, there's no possible way I can live like that and I'm tired of getting guilted, I'm tired of feeling ashamed, I'm just leaving the church and I left the church and they came on after me and they reminded me, here's the things you need to do, you need to live like this, be like that, do this, and it just kept bringing guilt and shame. That's been part of my journey. And I've got a feeling that's a part of a lot of people's journey. And I learned something that was really important. The scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That what what drove me to Jesus was not my pursuit of looking and being more godly. What drove me to Jesus was not how much I was able to read my Bible or go to church or do those other things. What drove me to, 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 to continue to grow in my walk with Jesus was a passionate love for Jesus. Anything that got in the way of my walk with Jesus wasn't important enough and I just let it go. And as I continued to pursue Jesus, the things that distracted me and were inconsistent with my new nature became less and less appealing in my life because as I pursued his heart, the things that he loved, I loved. And the things that he didn't love became a disdain in my heart. But I had a lot of people who were truthful. They just weren't weren't spiritual. Truth that flows through a person that is walking by the spirit is smothered with love. Truth that is, that, is, that, is, that is flowing out of a person that's walking by the Spirit, that truth is, is smothered with kindness. It's smothered with patience. 
Now, it wasn't all bad in my life. I did have so many people in my life that came and, and, and despite where I was at, would, would take me out and spend some time with me and, and remind me of God's plan and purpose for my life. And, and was a wonderful, they were very patient with me. They were very gentle with me. They were very kind with me. They were very loving with me. The evidence of the Spirit of God in their life caused me to want to get close to them so that when the day came on November 11th, 1989, when I came back to Christ, that was the first person I called and said, man, I'm home. Truth that flows through a person that is walking by the Spirit is smothered. That, that, that's, that truth is smothered with the fruit of the Spirit. That needs to be our heart integrity, church. Look what Paul says here. He says, if anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of Gentleness. Gentleness. Notice what Paul says in this passage. This is, a, this is a call for how are we to approach, not with a hammer, but with a hand. This word restore in the Greek is kartartizo. And I love this. It, it means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. Isn't that a powerful definition? Cartartizo means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. I, I'll be honest with you, when I was, when I was studying this text out and, and preparing for this, I came across that and my eyes welled up with tears and I just thought, what a beautiful picture of what we are called to do. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to go because here's the thing, the first thing that people start to feel when they start to disconnect from God, when they're overcaught by a sin, is they start to feel extremely inadequate. They start to become very much aware that they just don't fit in anymore and so they disconnect. You who are spiritual, you go after them and you make them completely adequate reminding them of who they are in Christ. Stop with the behavior modification and start with the, the, the position and the identity of the believer. You get a person understanding who they are in Christ, they will live like they are, like they are who they are in Christ. It's a beautiful and awesome role that we get to play in somebody's life to come alongside and make them feel adequate. Because the Christian who's caught in a trespass doesn't need to be reminded that they're inadequate. They don't need to be reminded of their guilt. They don't need to be reminded that they're in sin. They are aware of it 24 seven. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. I love this word, cartortizo. It's the same word that's used for setting a broken bone. It's also the same word that's used for fixing fishing nets in the Greek. It takes patience to fix those things. It takes gentleness to fix those things. And you see, if you're gonna set a bone or... I would suggest you don't do that unless you have a license to practice. <laughs> if you're gonna fix or mend a fishing net, it's gonna take gentleness. 
It's gonna take patience. It's gonna take love. And to be honest, in order to do that correctly, we need to see that person through the lens of our own need for God and our own need for God's forgiveness in our lives. We will never be able to rightly come alongside a brother or sister who is hurting until we understand that there is no difference between them and me. It's, it's them today, it might be me tomorrow. And if we can't come in humility and recognizing that it is solely by grace that I stand, you know, as opposed to, well, here's why I didn't do that. I didn't end up like you are because I've, I've put these things in motion. No, it's by grace that we stand. You see, in order to fully and correctly come alongside that person, we need to see this person through the lens of our own need for God and his forgiveness in our lives. Isn't that what Jesus taught us on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven? He said, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to, the, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying don't get involved in it. Jesus is saying before you help or restore anybody else, first take a look in the mirror and make sure that there's nothing in you that's causing you to see your brother or see your sister unclearly. First deal with your own heart. You who are spiritual, you who are pursuing Christ, then you are best positioned to go and restore that one. First deal with your heart and then go deal with your brother and your sister. That's the issue that, that Paul is raising in this verse. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, but restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself lest you also be tempted. You see, when we, when we, when we deal with their heart, instead of dealing our own heart, what we're doing is we're setting the stage for temptation in our own and failures right around the corner. Take heed lest you stand, the scripture says, lest you fall. When you think you stand, lest you fall. Deal first with our own hearts so that we could properly be used by God, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, you you who are spiritual, you who walk by the Spirit have the most wonderful opportunity to set bones and mend nets and restore your brothers and sisters who are caught by a sin. And as you walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will equip you by placing the necessary tools in your belt to accomplish the task, namely love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everything you need to accomplish the, the task will be flowing out of a spirit-controlled life. And you will be able to be a part of that process of restoration in that brother or that sister. Church, I pray that this would always be a safe place for the broken. 
the church, Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. The church needs to be a place where those who are broken can come, those who are disconnected can come and not get the hand of of accusation on here's all the things you need to do. No, you just fall in love with Jesus and the Holy Spirit who has been guiding the church for a really long time will get you from where you are to where God wants you to be. Just follow hard after Jesus. Let's continue here. Verse six, he, he, he begins wrapping up his, his, this theme. He says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with, those, with, with the one who teaches. Again, what we're seeing here is that a life that walks by the, what a life that walks by the Spirit looks like. It's a call to be good to others. You see, a life, that is, a life in the Spirit, uh, it, a life that, that is walking by the Spirit is more focused on blessing other people than themselves. Let the one who is taught, that's you, share good things with those who teach. That's me, at least today. And, and can I just tell you, Integrity Church, on behalf of all of our pastors who I know feel the same way, you do that well. Your graciousness, your generosity, your love, your support, your prayers, your letters of encouragement, your gifts, your everything that you, we feel so loved by you. And I know I, feel, I know I speak for the other pastors as well. You do that well. Let the one who's taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. So thank you for being, for being you and allowing your maturity to be extended towards us. He says in verse seven, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, not just to those who teach. Let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Look what Paul says here. His reminder to them is, hey, listen, don't think for a minute as you're walking, as you're moving, as you're, as you're going forward, as you're sowing, don't think for one minute that God doesn't see what you're doing. God is not mocked. In other words, God is not fooled. He is not duped. He has not gone on vacation. He is not unaware of anything that's going on. He sees what you do and what you don't do. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now for some of you, you hear that, and you think, oh, that's really, I'm, I'm in trouble. That's, a, not, a good, that's a not a good place to be. Can, can I, I just want to change your, change your view of God a little bit. Because, because right away, we, we oftentimes default to how bad we are and how far short we fall The focus of this is not so much about how bad we are, but the opportunity that lies before us as we will sow into the Spirit. If we will sow into the Spirit, we will reap from the Spirit eternal life. We will reap the abundance and the blessing and and, and all the good things that God has for us. 
Our God is a good, good father. Every good thing comes from God who, who, is, who, who is gracious and, and generous in giving to his children. And so what, what, what Galatians, or what Paul is saying to the church of Galatians here is, listen, as you're sowing in the spirit, as you're, as you're giving, as you're supporting, as you're pushing forward, don't become weary in well-doing. Don't, don't think for one minute that God is unaware as a man sows, so will he also reap. Just because God doesn't respond immediately to what a person is sowing doesn't mean he's unaware. And notice something he says here. He says in verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season. In due season. Not your season. Another way of saying that is at the right time. A better way of saying that is in God's time. Because I don't know about you, but I've come to discover that my time and God's time isn't always the same time. Right? And so, I, I, so and, and what I need to do is relinquish control of the timing and put it into God's hands where it lies and where, where, where it's safe and, 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 and is effective and keep sowing and keep trusting and keep moving forward because in due season, in God's timing, we'll reap if we do not quit. Verse eight cautions us to consider what we're sowing into. What's being sown anyway? I mean, there's only, th there's only certain things that we can, we can sow in our life. He's referring to a couple of things that we do have some control over in our lives. Things like our time. I mean, the most important commodity that we have is not what's in our bank account, it's what's, it's what's on our calendar. Our time. And so what, what, do, we, what do you do with your time? Is, is all my time reserved for me? I look at some young moms in the room and think, I wish that was the case. Some of you can't relate with that at all. But how much of my time is invested in the kingdom of God, in what God is doing? Sowing my time, sowing my talents, the, those gifts that God places in my life that are unique to me. Do I take those gifts and pour them into the lives of others? Do I use them to bring encouragement? Do I use them to, to build up other people? And then my treasure, things that God has allowed me to become a steward of. Do, are all my resources just for me? Am I the direct beneficiary of everything I get in my life? Or do I sow into the kingdom of God? Do I, do I, do I, do I, do I invest in the lives of other people and, and give generously as God has generously given to me? And so it's this idea of sowing and, and reaping and, 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 and Paul is saying, listen, as you sow into the spirit, as you sow into the things of God, you'll reap of the things of God. This section is, is not so much an appeal not to sow into the flesh as much as it is an appeal to see what awaits the one who will sow into the spirit. What awaits the one who will, who will prioritize their walk with God? What awaits the one who will put Jesus first in their life? This is about the, the what, what awaits the one who will put Christ as center of all that they do? 
This one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. Because at the right time, in good season, we will reap if we do not give up. Here's the big picture. God always comes through. God will always meet your needs. God will always take care of his own. Keep pressing, keep sowing, keep trusting. When you get to the end of your rope, you tie a knot and you hold on for for dear life, waiting for God to come through. Because as we sang before, he is always faithful. David said, I have been young and now I am old again and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God always comes through and he will come through for you. Don't be weary in well-doing. God, I sow, I I give of my time, I give of my talent, I give of my treasure, I am focused. Why am I not walking in the blessings that he's talking about? Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Delay is not denial. Delay means that God is preparing you for what he has for you. And look who God will oftentimes use to meet those needs. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, we're the household of faith. And in a mature household of faith, if we are sowing into the spirit, those who are in need, their needs will get met. And it might come indirectly from us, but it gets directly from God because God the Holy Spirit will put it on our hearts to give and meet those needs in different people's lives. And what Paul says here, hey, do good to everyone. He says, do good to those who teach, do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. We are to extend a priority to one another, just like we do with our blood relatives prioritizing the house of God and the people of God is what he's saying. And he wraps it up. See, he says, see what la- with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It kind of goes back to what we mentioned earlier on. We, we talked about what was Paul's ailment. It was likely his eyes. And so it's Paul that's writing this letter and, and he's saying the proof of his, look at it. The letter's like really huge, like maybe like a fifth grader, you know, that's kind of like Ola, you know, or second grader or whatever. But um, he's saying this, this letter is coming from me directly. Look at the letters uh, I'm writing with you from my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. And now he's, he starts, he, he's going back to the original reason for his writing, th- this idea of, of, of addressing those who think circumcision is necessary for salvation. He's, and, and he's addressing those who, who are teaching such things. And he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And, o- and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. I like that he's saying, Paul's saying, listen, don't think for one second that just because they say they're circumcised that they've kept the entire law. All they've done is just lose a little flesh, right? And painful at that. 
He's saying here, don't think for one second that they're fulfilling the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, look, that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, it's the old numbers game. Hey, look, and let's validate how good we are. Hey, I've got 39 circumcisions this week. Not gross, <laughs> right? He's saying they're doing this just to kind of make themselves look good, to boast in your flesh. Because they're all about making themselves look good, these teachers false teachers and boasting in themselves and look what Paul says but Paul says but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world I love that Paul is saying here man listen I've got nothing to boast about save the cross of Jesus Christ. If we had time this morning, I'd take you over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul, speaking as a fool in his own words, he will list all the things that he has accomplished that he could boast about. And the list is long and it is impressive. But Paul says, no, I will not boast in anything I have done. If anything good comes out of my life, I will boast on one thing. It's the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says in verse 15, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, that's what counts. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen and amen. Paul kind of goes all the way back to his original message from the beginning and he can, it's almost like he sums up the entire message to the Galatians in verse 15. I mean, he's touched on a whole bunch of different topics, but there is a common message that is woven all throughout six chapters, and it, he kind of nails it again here in verse 15, where he says, listen, the bottom line is this, folks, for neither circumcision counts for, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what matters. In other words, it's not what you do. It's what Christ has done for you. And all the peace, all the joy, all of that which is extended to a child of God comes not by any religious effort on our end. It is not by works of righteousness, but it comes solely by the grace of God, the unearned favor that we have received from God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. This is the gospel. And it's a gospel of grace. And there is no update needed. And that, my friends... <laughs> is the overall message to the churches of Galatia. We've only scratched the surface of all that I could say, but I pray that on being on the other side of this, that we recognize the awesome gift that we are recipients of in Christ Jesus and allow our lives to reflect the goodness and grace of Almighty God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this for us so that we can see you clearer, 
we can see ourselves clearer, we can see the world around us clearer. Lord, help us to be a church that is welcoming, that we would be a church that is loving, that we would be a church that goes after those who are broken, and instead of pointing a finger at them, that we point a finger to Christ as the ultimate healer. Lord, I pray that in these days ahead, that as our, as our world continues to get broken more and more by sin and the, the consequences of sin become more and more evident in people's lives, Lord, help us to be those who would catch and come alongside those who have been caught in a trespass. And Lord, let us do it with love and patience and gentleness and kindness to the glory and majesty of Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.